Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. What is asset inequality and is it as important as an inequality based on income? It appears to be a topic that the Tories are welcome to let fall by the wayside. So what does the centre-left have to say? I'm Connor Pope and I'll be discussing that with Progress Chair and World South MP Alison McGovern, Progress Director Richard Angel and today's guest Leicester West MP Liz Kendall. Last week, American President Donald Trump tweeted that Time magazine had told him he would probably be their person of the year, but turned them down. So my question to the panel this week is, what magazine would you want to be person of the year for? Richard, can we start with you? It would have to be Attitude magazine, which is my favourite gay magazine (laughs) from my childhood. It obviously covers the ups and downs in the LGBT community, and that'd be pretty amazing. And did they run a person of the year like issue, do you know? I don't think so, but they could make it special okay, for me. Okay, but yeah, I think I think that would work. Yeah. How about you, Alison? I really want to say horse and hound, which is, <laughs> which is of course, a quote from the film Notting Hill when uh, Hugh Grant goes and interviews Julia Roberts, do you remember? And no. he has to pretend to be a journalist to get in to see her. She's oh, a, I remember She's that. a film star and he, he's trying to get to see her. So he pretends to be a journalist and they say, what magazine are you from? And he says... Horse and hound. And then he asks all sorts of questions like, and so the hounds of um, um, somewhere or other, how, how will the movie affect them, doesn't he? Or something yeah, like that. but it's a film about space. It's a film about space? Oh, right, yeah, the yeah. film that she's in. Sorry, I was going to say that. Have you not I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember Notting Hill Connor, being in space. <laughs> have you not seen Notting Hill? I have, but I'm Clearly, afraid I can't remember specific jokes from a 20-year-old <laughs> not film. Not as no. many times as I have. He's a little bit younger, Ali. True. He's Max. a little bit Ouch. younger oh, than me as well. <laughs> <laughs> but Horse and Hounds presumably is a hunting magazine. I can't say I've yeah, ever no, read it. No, I've never read it either. Uh, I, I, honest, I honestly don't know. I was a bit obsessed with The Face magazine when I was younger, but sadly my favourite magazine of my teenage years, I am so old, it no longer exists. And that was The Face magazine? Yeah, it's how, you've heard of The Face magazine. No, no, oh my sorry. goodness. I've not heard of that and I'm older than him. Listeners, please tweet at Conor <laughs> and explain to him what the Face magazine was. Okay, Liz, can we come to you? Oh, it's got to be Grazia. I love, I love Grazia. It's my, 
my little treat every week. Do you get the full-size version or the handbag-size one? A full-size version. Oh, full-size version. Have a nice little treat on the train. Do they run a person of the year? I don't think so. Okay, but we could start a campaign for you to yeah. be the inaugural Grazia. I think that is highly unlikely, but it's a great moment. I think we've all been involved in lots of campaigns that have been highly likely. <laughs> yes, none of you more than me. <laughs> we were your campaigners and we are proud. Obviously, the, the magazine that I would like to be person of the year for is Progress magazine. Oh, goodness me. If I, only you had the ability to make that happen, Connor. <laughs> I'm not sure it would fly that well in editorial meeting. C- could we do it? Could I be person of the year in the February issue? Why do we have a Twitter poll? <laughs> what, <laughs> whether, whether I should or not. Yeah, exactly. To be the cover star for Progress, I think that'd be brilliant. Yeah. I think that would show that you care a lot about the effort that I put in at work. <laughs> God, get my nomination like... I'll nominate you I'm sending you your salary every month <laughs> Richard's blank face there was not a good look <laughs> I feel that campaign is even less likely than the Liz Kendall for Grats here to be honest if any listeners have any thoughts about this if they want to suggest a question that we could answer in a future section then do tweet them to us at Progress Online at Connor Pope at Richard Angel or at Alison underscore McGovern So, Richard, I've heard a rumour that if people like the Progressive Britain podcast, there's something that they can do to help us out. There is, Alison. Oh. People can subscribe themselves, they can rate our podcast wow. on iTunes, and they can leave a review. And that means that it not just gets to the audience that's already listening to the Progressive Britain podcast, but gets to other audiences. And Connor and I do a review show that comes out every Friday where we pick not just the best review, but the people who are engaging most with the podcast, who leave their review, that we give out a book, sometimes a mug, to the people who be engaging most. So we're keen to hear and make this a two-way conversation. So it's not just about audience participation. There's fancy gifts too. What more could you Amazing. want? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The last Labour government made efforts to tackle income inequality and had various degrees of success before the financial crash of 2008, but largely failed to put a handbrake on the asset divide, partly because those who owned assets when Labour came to power saw those assets appreciate over time. The government had two attempts to deal with this inequality through the Child Trust Fund and the Savings Gateway, but both were abolished 
by George Osborne in his first budget as Chancellor. Liz Kendall wrote an essay on this issue for progress in April last year. After the failure to deal with it once again in this month's budget, it seems as relevant now as it was then. Now, Liz, I know this is a kind of really important issue for you, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think we need to talk as much about wealth inequality as we do about income inequality. And I don't think we've debated the issue, why it matters and what we can do about it anywhere near enough. And I think it is absolutely essential because the current levels of wealth inequality are unjust, unfair, and they hold individuals, the economy and our country back. There are things we can and should be doing about it. But we talk, I think, far too much about those income inequalities and not so much about the wealth one. And when we talk about kind of asset and wealth inequality, do we generally just mean housing or is it broader than that, really? No, it's, you know, all forms of wealth or assets. So, yes, that is housing, but it's also pensions, it's savings and it's the capital that people own in things like stocks and shares. And the truth is that wealth inequalities are twice as big as income inequalities, and they're starting to rise again. And the reason I I, I think this is so important is for for individuals who, who don't have savings or assets, that means that people struggle if something unexpected happens in their life. That's everything from, you know, their washing machine breaking down to a relationship breaking up. They're less able to uh, take risks or have bigger opportunities like setting up their own business. And for the economy as the whole, we know the IMF says that more unequal countries have shorter and slower periods of growth. Uh, So it's for those individual and collective reasons that we really should be bothered about wealth and asset inequality. And what kind of things were there in the latest budget that either dealt with this or or, or made it worse? What, What kind of specific things came up this month that might have affected it? First of all, I think Liz is absolutely right. The big problem that we have on income inequality that's growing is kind of dwarfed in many ways by the long period of growth of the inequality in wealth and assets that we've had. One does lead to the other, because obviously if you haven't got enough income, you can't really afford to save. And that tends to be the problem that young people have got. And housing does also exacerbate it, because the longer that you're renting, the less able you are to start early on the housing ladder, pay down some of that debt, and then have capacity to save for a pension and other things. So one does lead to the other. And what the Chancellor did in the budget last week was essentially make the problem a whole lot worse. So we'd seen in previous budgets, inheritance tax basically handed back to the already wealthy. What he did this time was in some ways worse, which is to say to young people, I'm going to give you a hand getting on the housing ladder by cutting stamp duty for properties up to £300,000. But the problem with that is that if you've got the same number of houses and the same number of buyers and you effectively give money to buyers to compete for the same number of houses, well, it's obvious the price of the houses just goes up. So it's not the people who are buying the houses that have become more wealthy over time. It's the people who own the houses. And in our context, there's a generational thing here. Wealth will accrue to people who already own homes. That's, you know, in many cases, the baby boomer generation. You know, in, for people who bought in high value areas, for example, they will have seen the price of their house, the value of their asset rise exponentially. 
all the chancellor did last week was add heat to an overheated market and for people in low housing value areas where people don't want to go and live there anyway it doesn't do anything it doesn't open up new areas of the housing market so he just exacerbated wealth inequality that's already there. Ali's right. I mean, there's two points you've highlighted there. One is the sort of generational issue. We know that millennials now, half of them, not likely to be able to own their own home until they're 45 years old. That is a real problem in terms of fairness. But it is also an issue about our geographically unbalanced economy. The total value of housing stock in London is greater than that of the combined value in Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and the whole of the North. I mean, so the fact that those, the housing stock is so expensive in London and particularly the South East, it is part of this story of why our economy is so unbalanced and why the opportunities for people in different parts of the country are so unfair. There's also disparities in terms of gender, class and uh, ethnic minorities. So it's an underlying problem for individuals and the economy as a whole. Because in the end, money is power, right? That's We don't care about the housing market just because of the numbers involved. We care about it because for all of those people who own that big, expensive asset, you know, the value of it is likely to rise, not fall. That gives them opportunities to do things with the value of that asset that other people in different parts of the country or from a different background don't have and that power imbalance is really not fair because those people haven't it's not hard work that's exactly right it's not that people haven't worked hard to buy their own home it's that the increases in its value are over and above any effort that they have put in it's because of what's happening in the wider economy and that house prices are rising predominantly in London and the southeast or at least exponentially so so you know as a party that believes in work and incentivizing hard work and also believes in smashing down barriers to people's success look nobody is you know blaming families want to pass on their homes to their loved ones that's what you do in a family but it means that some people have you know a huge advantage in life compared to others if their parents haven't been able to get on the property ladder or the value of their property isn't so great and that is something that we should be concerned about what what it's ending up doing is compounding these problems because if you know you're going to spend longer renting you do what you would normally do if you own a home if you live in a slightly better rental property when you've got a little bit more wages where you have to move and actually all that ends up doing is more of your income gets consumed on renting rather than your ability to build up a deposit for getting on the housing ladder so all of the decisions down the line are taken and I'm assuming therefore when you start to have kids happens later in life and all the implications that that might have for you and your family exactly one thing leads to another I would just love to be in a position for Labour to be doing something about it. I mean, immediately, you think about that three billion within the budget that Hammond earmarked for this stamp duty cut. I mean, I can think of about seven better uses for that childcare, for example. The health service, I'm sure, could put it to excellent use. You think it would just be such a good thing to be in a position to do something about it, because actually, I think we've probably spent quite a lot of time and we did spend time in government working out what works and how we could get people both on the housing ladder but also building up nest eggs. Now, I think it'd be really interesting when the first young people are coming of age who got the Child Trust Fund. It's about to happen, isn't it? It is about That's to happen 17, quite soon. I think, now, so it's about to happen, and it will be it? like a very... Because George Osborne was so quick to snatch it out of people's hands when they got in, 
it will be a relatively small kind of cohort of people who will be able to say, okay, did that have an impact on the choices that you made? Did you think you had this nest egg when you came to 18? Like what did that, did that open up choices for you? Could you just quickly explain what the Child Trust Fund was and how it kind of worked? Oh, sorry. So um, back in the mid 2000s, I think it was either the 2003 or the 2004 budget. I'm going to go with 2004, but, you know, listeners, tweet me, correct me. Labour in government announced that the government would effectively open a bank account for every kid and they would put 250 quid in it for every kid that was born. And then their parents could... Um, or grandparents or anyone. Or, could or anybody or, you know, frankly, anybody who cared about them could put money in as well. And it functioned like, you know, like a like an ISA where it obviously it wasn't taxed and it was just money that would be held for them until they were 18 and it was designed to kickstart a savings culture frankly just to put something behind young people because the difference I think a lot of us will have experienced the difference when you're 18 of those people that you might know perhaps if you go to university and you meet people with slightly more money for the first time and you meet people who appear to have these bank accounts full of cash that their parents have been putting in there for years and they all of a sudden have the opportunity to travel or do other things. And it was a, to try and back all of our young people with a bit of government money. And obviously, 250 quid isn't a lot. But actually, given, you know, the interest it would accrue over 18 years, plus their families and friends chucking in a bit now and then, actually, you could give people the real chance to do some exciting work experience. And also, we added, we doubled it if they were from the poorest families. Right. And we put extra money in at seven, didn't we? That's right. And it gives you know, a sense of security and opportunity that you've got different options available to you. And we know that people who do have savings or assets, even if you kind of take account of their backgrounds, they're less likely to suffer from depression, more likely to be able to get skills and into a good job. So it has all sorts of knock-on effects. But the truth is the next Labour government has got to, I think, go you know much further in terms of tackling these wealth inequalities. I do think we need a fairer, clearer and simpler tax system. I mean, if you look at capital gains tax, that's 20 or, or 28%. So that's the tax on the gains on the capital that you have. But you look at income tax and, you know, you might be a teacher or a nurse who's getting taxed 40%. How How is that fair? We're be the, it's supposed to be the party that rewards um, work. There's all sorts of things we obviously have to do on um, increasing the supply of affordable housing, I'd also like to see us really try and expand different forms of employee ownership of the businesses, companies that they work in. And there's, you know, also some very interesting ideas around sovereign or citizens' wealth funds, which is about trying to say that the public should be able to own a share of the nation's wealth. Um, and it should be invested for long-term change. I mean, there's very interesting examples of where it's been done in other countries, but it is about making the nation's wealth more fairly available to people. And I think that's a 21st century solution rather than a kind of old top-down 
statist renationalisation or the kind of right-wing free market privatisation. So that's the sort of thing we need to be looking at, much more radical even than our baby bonds and savings gateway. So this would be whenever we got a dividend, for example, when they... uh when they sold off the rights to 3G and then 4G, that would go into a sovereign wealth fund rather than just go into the kind of treasury's coffers and then get redeployed for investment that is Well, there's all sorts of options about how that fund might get its money from things like that, from pensions funds. You might want to support long-term investment. You might, you know, do you remember when we did the windfall tax on the privatised utilities? That kind of example, you might have put that money into a fund. Now, some people argue, I wouldn't, that it should, if you look at places like Alaska, they've used it both to give a sort of citizen's dividend back, like a universal basic income. I think there's huge problems with that, as Ali does. But other places have used to make long-term investments, for example, in infrastructure and in regenerating poorer areas. I think that's a much better way of spending that money because it allows us to do this without doing lots of extra borrowing. Yeah, and the, the truth is that Margaret Thatcher had the opportunity to do this when we had the North Sea oil windfall in exactly. the 80s. And the various privatisations then, sure. Oh, exa- well, exactly. I mean, whether or not she actually should have done them, that would have been a better thing. But there's a kind of bitter, like, uh, political economy irony that, you know, the woman who famously kind of said we couldn't spend without our means or whatever, basically took a windfall of her own in the North Sea oil and basically spent it on tax cuts and, you know, kind of let the market rip. The part that really interests me about this, actually, is that for a long time, I think we on the left, we've struggled with how to get institutional investors to respond to social needs. So there's always been like a kind of share owner activism thing. And I think a lot of people think about public sector pension funds, especially where there's a lot of capital there. How can we make it work to a more socially minded agenda, not just run into the first like market opportunity to make a fast book, but to, to do things differently and invest in the right thing. And I think that it will be unsurprising that I agree with Liz that we should think big and really radical about finding a kind of national vehicle for investment. And well, Labour councillors have been trying to do that, haven't they, with their own funds recently? I mean, they've been trying to get their, the pension funds that they invest in for their staff to reinvest in the kind of housing opportunities that they might need, not yeah. just in their borough, but in boroughs generally. Yeah, and, and also accessing the public works board type investment rather than kind of going to market for capital. The thing is, though, the UK as a nation has a kind of just a kind of heft in the size of our economy that we ought to be putting to work for our people, which we're not. And tackling, you know, what we know are the big problems with our economy, how geographically unbalanced we still are, how short term our economy is and how the way that finance works. So I think that is a very important and interesting idea that we should be seizing and making our own. But I also think we do need to look at the tax system because essentially the returns on capital are increasing exponentially and the returns on labour, on work, are decreasing. And that is a pro- there's a real problem for us. And as I said, the fact that people who already have these assets in property and in shares are getting richer and richer without necessarily putting, you know, not commensurate to the effort that they put in. There's something wrong with that. 
It's a tough question, particularly for those of us on the modernising wing of the party, but we have to grasp this agenda to make the country work better. And so you you were talking earlier, in, in your ideas, a lot of them just seemed about giving people the potential and the opportunity to actually become asset owners and accrue wealth. Is there also an element of needing to redistribute the kind of wealth that already exists? Well, one of the things you know, I've argued before, and you know, forgive me if you've heard me say this many times before, is if we believe in a fairer and more equal society, we should be making the very early years our top priority, a national mission that every uh, child starts school ready to learn, okay? And I, instead of doing an inheritance tax cut that benefits the very wealthy, why wouldn't we put that money into early years instead? You know, that is a measure that would help transform the country. So it is both about helping people own assets themselves, as well as breaking down the barriers to people fulfilling their potential. So there are many different aspects of this agenda about wealth and assets, how we share them more fairly, and how we make the tax system work better to give us the money we need to do the things we really care about. How much of this kind of stuff was in Labour's manifesto in 2017, and how much will need to be new stuff going into it next time? I think that just on the childcare point, actually, and I've argued for the reasons that Liz just mentioned, that childcare has got to be seen as infrastructure. Because if we just think of it as just like everyday public spending, we're like totally failing conceptually to understand um, how it deals with inequality in our, in our society. And actually the childcare section of uh, our manifesto in June was excellent. I think that we have got a way to go on inequality always round. I think that we haven't really paid the attention that we need to on what's actually going on in the economy at the moment. And that goes for both the increase in child poverty on an income basis that we're seeing. Labour's policy on housing has been build more. That's the right thing to do. That will help. But it won't be enough unless we've got a means and a mechanism to kind of stem the accumulation of assets by you know, a relatively small group. And that almost entirely comes from the regional imbalance. So that's about the fact that people who own homes in London, the value of them has just gone up and up and up exponentially. I so mean, I think we've got more to do is the I answer. I mean, the top 10% of households have got 45% of this country's wealth, you know, 800 times more than the bottom 10% of households. And that isn't just a, an issue of fairness for us. As I say, it fundamentally underpins the problems we have with our economy, short-termism, geographical imbalance, and lack of investment in create, you know, new companies, new jobs, rather than people. I mean, really wealthy people don't live off their income. They live off their assets. And where are the incentives for them to invest in the economy to help it grow rather than their own existing assets? And the tax system makes their decisions entirely rational. And my last question, but because essentially every single policy topic has to be seen through this prism nowadays, is there a, an obvious way in which Brexit will make this situation worse? There is in terms of the regional imbalance. If you think about Brexit as essentially drawing a big red line between us and, and the continent of Europe, the question is, who, who does that hurt? And Liz has just given one reason why those who are wealthy won't particularly be hurt that much 
by it because they're not dependent on the real economy for their income. But the second reason is just if you look at the trade connections between places in the North and in the Midlands and Europe, and London especially and Europe, actually London's a global city that trades all around the world. It has some of its service economy that is at risk with Brexit, but not as much as in the North and the Midlands and essentially poorer parts of our country. Because they're dependent on manufacturing and the services in those areas are dependent on manufacturing. When Brexit happens, it basically severs those links and up to 50% of all manufacturing output could be at risk if we have a hard Brexit. And that means that jobs are at risk there. Like, who's going to want to go and live in a place that's closing down? And, uh, you know, on, uh, I know the answer to that because in the 80s and 90s, I lived in a place that was steadily closing down. And that will mean that the value of land, homes, offices, everything in those areas falls again. And we, Brexit basically takes an uneven scale and tips it even further. And that, that's, that's why what the Tories are doing on Brexit is a complete anathema to what Theresa May said on the steps of Downing Street. You just can't give everybody who needs it a better chance in our country and pursue the kind of hard Brexit that she is. I think we need to finish that discussion there. But if you want to take part in this debate, do email us at office at progressonline.org.uk, tweet us at Progress Online, or leave us a comment in a review on iTunes. And as always, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Every week, I ask a political pub quiz question, which is answered on Friday's extra show. Except for this week, when I forgot to sort a question out. But as luck would have it, Alison McGovern, you have given us a backup question. So I have. I mean, it's a, it's a fairly mundane piece of trivia, but, you know, since you've let us down, Connor. <laughs> here is the question. I went to the same school as a British Prime Minister. Which Prime Minister was it? That's a great question. I look forward to more Alison McGovern trivia in future episodes. I might make this the running theme of the Are you calling me now. trivial? <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving quickly on. If you know the answer to that, please do uh, tweet us at Progress Online or at Connor Pope or at Alison underscore McGovern or email us at office at progressonline.org.uk and you could win a mug on Friday's show. We need to wrap up now, but we've been delighted to have Liz Kendall joining us today. Uh, me and Richard will be back on Friday to respond to your comments and dish out some prizes. So do get in touch and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with me, Alison McGovern, the music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton, who produced this podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.